I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, and beginning in verse 17, and then we'll look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 for a moment. This is where we were last week, and the title of the message, this is part two, the title of the message is, The Deceiving of the Whole World. That's an amazing statement. If you stop and, and ponder it or meditate on it, the deceiving of the entire world, everybody that's in it, no one is left out. Deception, deceiving. First John 5, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Well, now, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now, before he was born again, he didn't know how to keepeth himself or to keep himself. But now he does, or he should. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God. We know that now. And we also know that the whole world lieth in wickedness. Verse 18, the same word is translated wicked one, which is the devil. That he has mastered the whole human race. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the prince of this world in the gospel of John three times. He's called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4. He has mastered humanity. One creature, one fallen creature who was in Revelation 12, if you go over there in verse 9, and that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Those angels today we are aware of are his messengers. They're called demons, evil spirits. They are attached to under the authority and control of the devil himself. It's called the kingdom of darkness. And the ruler of the kingdom of darkness is the devil. And there's not a lot of people in the world who know that. There's far more who aren't even interested in that. And that very fact has given place to the deception, not only the ignorance, but the deception of the whole world, not only about who God is and what he offers, but has led them astray to where they have been taken captive by the devil at his will. That's 2 Timothy 2. So the whole world is, in effect, wondering, because the word deception means to cause to wonder, to lead astray. A person who is deceived may think he's doing right or going right because he measures what is right by how he feels or how she feels or what goodness comes from it. I mean, we would most likely as decent people say that every religious setting, all religious institutions in the world as Christian, there's enough goodness in all of them enough sincerity in all of them that there's a rightness about them all that well, there's nothing wrong with it. 
And yet the Bible said there is a way that seemeth right. A way that seems right. Where did that way come from? Well, it came from the deceiver. God has spoken, this is the way, walk ye in it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other. But somebody, and we call it the devil, through his many different subtle ways of deception and misleading people and so forth, has been able to say, well, this is what he said to Eve in the garden. Well, now, that's not what God meant. God is bigger than just a, a little narrow set of rules and doctrines. I mean, come on. You don't have to confine yourself to just a book like the Bible and that alone is right. What about all the other good things in the world that people do and all the kind things that people do? Don't tell me that you just have to live according to the Bible. This is liberalism. Of course, much of the world rejects the Bible. They have a copy. They just don't believe it. And so there's all of these different methods. The word in the Bible for method is wiles of the devil. There's all these different methods that the devil has designed and has been able to incorporate into man's mind that to a man became, well, yeah, that's, that's good. What's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with the different ways of doing something good? Yet the Bible said there is a way that seems right unto man. He buys into it because he's so vulnerable. We all are. It seems right unto man, but God said the end of those ways where they lead is death. Now, I'll guarantee you this. Many Christians don't like to hear that. And the world will reject that. But it is eternally true because God said his word is forever settled in heaven. It'll never pass away. And God has never lied. He said, I'm not a man that I should lie. If I said it, I'll do it and so forth. So we know that by deception, the devil, that old serpent called the devil, the ruler of the darkness of this world. And the world lies in darkness because darkness and wickedness are synonymous. He has mastered the entire human race. Every one of us, I hope I can put this in the past tense, we're deceived. We were all misled. We followed the course of our parents and whoever was before us. We never questioned anything. We just believed what was fed us. We walked that way, adhered to it. It seemed to be right, so why, why couldn't it not be right? And if there was ever an argument, we would say, well, surely God wouldn't hold our, our sincerity against us. And so it seemed, yeah, I mean, all right, why not? That seems to be all right. And we've settled down in the end times here in the last days. We've settled down in the last days where we don't quite church. Christianity doesn't quite have the stomach for truth. Because the truth is awful narrow. And yet Jesus said the way that leads to life is narrow. He said many will seek to enter in, but for some reason, somewhere along the line, they will not be able. Maybe it costs too much. Maybe God's way just doesn't fit with the ways that we're living in this world. Maybe it's too narrow. Maybe we're feeling the heat of persecution. I don't know. But I know that the devil, the Bible said, has been able to mislead the whole world. Now, the question we asked last week and answered was, how was he able to do this? 
What was the simple thing? Of course, the devil uses a lot of things, but what did the devil start with that seems to be his biggest weapon? And we found in John 8, 44, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. And then he went on to say there, he said he was a murderer from the beginning, from the beginning, the beginning of what? When he fell. The devil came to this earth with one mission. You know what it was? To what? And to what? Steal and to what? Destroy. To kill, steal, and destroy. All of his promises that he makes about the glamour and the having the world and being successful, all of that, you know what it amounts to? Counterfeit money at the end of the road. His desire is death. His desire is killing, making life miserable, making all your dreams vanish, making you try hard for something that seems never to have ever been, and disappointments. That's the way the devil leads so many people. That's why the church has grown unsure about the promises of God, that God will do this, that God will do this. He's a God of healing. He'll bless you going in and coming out. And yet that's been such a disappointment for so many people for so many years and generations that ancestors have handed down, well, I don't think that works, well, I don't think that. And by the time it got down to you, it didn't look like it was working, so people don't believe it. They believe the lie. Because the devil was able to get people to believe a lie and pass the lie on. And a lie will kill you. Because the Bible says that all liars in Revelation 21 and verse 8, all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. There is no tolerance of God for liars or lying ways. The one word that stands out in referencing true disciples and Christians is honesty, veracity, being honest and true and upright, treating people right the way you want to be treated. All the law, everything that is what God wants is love God with all your heart. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the epitome of honest living, of caring and so forth. But boy, we have been ingrained with self-serving ideas. Well, why should I do that? Well, that's crazy. What? Well, that might cost me something. Why? Well, blah, blah, blah. And the devil has elevated self. Why wouldn't he? He's a murderer. He's setting you up for death. Didn't we say in Genesis 4, 7 last week that sin lies at the door? Never goes away. Jesus knocks on the door. And sin lies at the door waiting for the moment to seize. And all your goodness, all the good things you do, we said it saw in our text, all the good things you're doing, all the right things you do, your righteousness are as filthy rags. And we step back and we say to God, Paul said in Romans, that's not fair. It's what man says to God. They, this is not right. Said it in, his, in Ezekiel. God, your ways are not fair. God said, my ways are fair. Your ways are wrong. Your ways are crooked. You see, all unrighteousness is sin, isn't it? 
And something's not right because we think it's right. Something is not right because we tried to make it right. Something is right only if the Father God, who alone is righteous, has authored it. If it's not of God, it's not righteous. It pleases man, it may not please God. And we have trouble with that. How could, oh, come on, how could that be? Well, because of the deception that we have about who God is, for one thing. We have made God like us, that God thinks like us, that God feels like us. And what we would approve of and give, you know, this or that to, God would simply say no to some things. Because that's not the way he operates. God is not a man that he should lie, mislead, or deceive. But he can send deception. God can do that. John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. Now listen at these words. And he abode not in the truth. That's why he was cast out. Because there is no truth in him. There is no truth in him. And Jesus said, when he speaketh, when the devil speaketh, he speaketh a lie. He speaketh on his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Then where do all lies come from? Are you willing to admit the devil is the one who fathers lies, who instigate lies, who wants you to live something that's not right? If something is not right, is it a lie? Then how do you know what you're doing this morning is right? How do you know if what you believe is right? How do you know if even being here is right? How do you know if I'm right? You know what God gave us to measure everything by himself. That's why he said, if they speak not according to this word, if we live not according to this word, if, if we have set the word aside to do things our own way and try to add the word to it, we're living a lie. That's not what God wants. But if we persist in doing it, then we persist in doing it our way and not God's way. And there is a way that seems to be right. Turn to 1 John again. I, I'm trying to get started. 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 6 and verse 9 in 1 John chapter 1. This is one of the things we can measure ourselves by. We're church-going nice people. Much too good not to go to heaven. I mean, people are convinced of that too. That you go to heaven because you're good. You don't have to agree with me there, but I, I know that that's true with a lot of people. First John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Jesus Christ and we walk in darkness, the way you live this week, the shady things you do, think, watch, act, the way you relate to others and so forth, if it's not the result of what good fellowship with God leads to, then what is it? It's a lie, and we do not do the truth. Look at verse 8. Well, I don't think I've sinned that much, or I don't know that I'd call. Well, listen, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You're misleading yourself, and the truth is not in you. Now, boy, there are big church members will fight you for that one. They'll leave the church over that and label you as a whatever. I'm just reading the Bible. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. 
chapter 2 and verse 4 that says, He that says, he that saith, I know him. Well, yeah, I know the Lord. And keepeth not his commandments or his word and his ways. What is he? You're living a lie. If you say you know the Lord, but you're not doing what you've been taught or not living the way he said, or at least not struggling with it and trying to and coping with it, you might go through that too. You know, we don't just jump out of the death of this world and just start doing exactly everything God says. Some things are so new and so different, we have to, man, we have to wrestle with it. But God is long-suffering. He gives us time. The problem is when people read that and say, I don't, I, no, I, I, that ain't going to work. And they set it aside. But you're still religious. You're a liar. See, I see how that sounds to say it like that. If I would say, but thou art living a lie, that might be a little better. I didn't write this. I have to read it just like you do. And some of the things in the Bible are designed to produce fear and trembling. Because you're talking about eternity here. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments. And we've all been there at least a dozen times. He is a liar. We don't have to stay a liar. We can do 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So we got that. Look at chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If a man says he loves God and he hates his brother, animosity towards his brother, won't speak to his brother or sister, He is a liar. You're living a lie. God did not authorize that kind of life. God does not accept that kind of life. When you persist to do it, God said you should not. You said I am going to. You're living a lie because that is not the truth. Now remember this as we get started today. The deception in the last days. The deception in the last days, the misleading events in the last days. I think we're there. But the things that are going to happen that will get the world's attention are called signs and wonders. Lying signs and wonders. They're not given by God. They are allowed by God because there's a lot of people who don't want to do things God's way. They want movements. They don't care what you teach. They don't care about what your doctrines is. Just do something. And here's what he said in Matthew 24, 24. He said, for there shall arise false Christ, false messiahs, false saviors, false people with solutions. Arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. We'll read about it. It'll be on the evening news and the morning talk shows. And everybody will be buzzing about it, planning trips to go wherever these things are taking place without regard to the message that comes following them. Remember, when Jesus worked miracles, he preached the truth. The truth today is unacceptable. It drives people away. But people don't care what you preach if you can do something. If they can see a miracle or a sign or a wonder. 
The Bible said this will happen to such a degree in the last day with such intensity that says insomuch that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. This is going to look like the real thing. And the key is if they speak not according to this word. The Antichrist will astound the world. All the religious lines and borders will be crossed. People will give up what they thought they believed, their doctrines, because this will be a unifying moment in the world order. Trust me with that one. And he is going to cause this man of the end. He's going to cause all kinds of religions and cultures, nations to come together. And he is going to make himself finally going to make himself God. You thought Jesus was the one. He said, well, they were deceived, but I am God. And you know why they will believe him? Not because he lines up with the Bible. The Bible is going to be set aside. That will no longer be a factor in the end, except for us. But he will make himself out to be who he says he is, and people will believe it, and they'll bow down to him. They'll buy little statues that would be made by the millions. They'll put them in their homes, and they will, they will honor him with those little things. He's a false prophet. And part of his end-time work, he knows he has but a short time, is not only to deceive the whole world, but try to cast the whole world headlong at the same place that's reserved for him and his angels. These are desperate and difficult times. If we don't deal with this, if these things are not understood and brought to people's minds, that in the busyness of your world, before you are captured with going, doing, and being, you better find out exactly who, who you're serving where your loyalty and allegiance is, and be able to prove that by the way you live. Because God is coming back for a bride that is prepared and ready for him. And the devil never ceases. He is never discouraged. I don't know that he's ever disgusted. He never quits trying. He never leaves you alone. You can rebuke him and he can flee. He'll always come back. You'll have to fight this battle I'm talking about today. You'll have to fight this along with all the blessings that God gives. You'll have to fight this enemy the rest of your life. Every day when he tries to take your children, when he tries to take your home or your health, you've got to fight. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. And when you give up easy, you cannot have faith. Without patience, there is no faith. You've got to stick with it. And that's what most people don't. Nah, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. So they give up and look for something else. And there's always, there's always something else. There's always something else that he gives. Now, let me run through today. As I begin listing these last week, listing them down in a list, I've run out of paper on all the different Ways deception is evident on this earth. I mean, just astounding at how easy it has been for people like us, our parents, our grandparents, and on and on, how easy it was to believe a lie and how much of a struggle it is to believe the Bible. But think about that. That's the way it is. 
We almost dread hearing it. We all, oh, no, you're going to preach on it. Oh, I don't want to, oh, yeah, oh, no. And yet somebody could come in and prophesy smooth things, prophesy illusions. Come on, speak kindly to it. Hey, hey, power down a little bit, brother. We'll listen to you. Especially if, like my little grandson Gus said, just preach a little bit this morning, Papa. Just a little bit. (laughs) I'm sorry, Gus. Don't you realize that human nature gravitates towards weakness? The easy way out? And doesn't the devil give you a philosophy of an easier way? Come on. Doesn't he make it seem simple some other way? Or Why do we have to be so narrow-minded? I mean, after all, look at all the other people. They're not narrow-minded, and we're not better than them. Doesn't he say that? Well, we aren't better than anybody else. You know that. But the purpose in talking like that is to get you to back off. Because when you back off and you're not doing what you said, well, then you start drifting. You start wondering. Next thing you know, you're agreeing with things you know that aren't right. Yeah, well, you, you, you might be right there. And, and you're no longer taking a stand. You're no longer contending for the faith. The devil says, well, you can't win people to the Lord if you're always, you know, packing a Bible around with paper tracks in your pocket, giving them to people. Can't do that. Why don't you back off a little bit and just give everybody some room? Come on, man. Next thing you know, you're backing away and people say things that aren't right. And you say, well, you know, I guess. You've been taught better than that. You know better than that. You're just afraid of persecution. Contending for the faith. What a message. That, we ought to preach on that. So, sometimes, number one, the devil wants to impart to us lies that deal with some of these subjects because if he can get some of these subjects crisscrossed, then he can devour us. Remember, the devil goes about like a roaring lion, what? Seeking whom? Obviously, he can't devour just anybody, but he goes about seeking whom he can devour. And when he finds one, he devours them. That means he drinks them down. They become under his control. Just like Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. He was their master. Number one, the Bible. The devil misleads many Christians and probably the entire world about the authenticity, if you can spell that, or the accuracy of the Bible. And people who don't want the Bible to be true, heady, educated, well-informed, that way people, having spent years of studying, studying archaeology and, and putting things together they think proves a point, They try to tell us that the Bible is not exactly accurate. You know, the world could not have been created in six days. Give me a major break. Six days, come on. Well, it says so. I know it says that, but you've got to understand, and this is what the devil said to Eve. You've got to understand that's not what God meant. Six days is just probably six, six seasons, six times. Six dispensations where things gradually happened like you were taught in school about evolution. 
That's just the way it is. Come on. You can't confound yourself to six days, and the earth is only, what, 7,000 years old? They've already dug up stuff that's millions of years old. Did they? Yeah. It got in there before there was a world. That's amazing. I do know this. If a person is set on turning away from God and doesn't want to believe what God says, God will allow them to be deceived. That's 2 Thessalonians 1 9. And God will send them strong delusions that they would believe a lie. When your heart goes to the point where you don't want what God says, God will give you what you want. Something besides God. And you'll believe it so much you cannot unbelieve it. And yet, when your life is over, you'll perish. You had a chance, you didn't want it. You say, well, God wouldn't do that, wouldn't he? I remember a story in, in Chronicles 22, 1 Samuel 18, I think, something like that, where there was a two kings were going out to battle, Jehoshaphat and Ahab. And Ahab's prophets all said, oh, go, you're going to win. Oh, no problem, you're going to win. And Jehoshaphat said, you got anybody else, anything, you got anything from God? Remember the story? Yeah, there's a, oh, there's a creep. I don't know if I should use that word today. There's a guy back there, and uh, yeah, he, but he never prophesied good stuff to me. He's always honest. I mean, uh, he's always saying something that God told him. Well, I want to hear what he has to say. Come on, man, I do. They brought him out there. And he said this, he said, I saw spirits come before God. And God said, who will go forth and deceive Ahab and his prophets? And a spirit spoke up and it says, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, go. And he did. And this is what happened. It happens in history. It happened then. It happens all the time. The man liked the message he heard because it elevated himself. It was a lie. He felt good about it. He liked the message. Yeah. But it was a lie. And as he followed that lie, he died in battle. And of all things, standing in his chariot, somebody in the other side of the army just in the heat of the battle just grabbed an arrow on his bow and just let an arrow fly. Sometimes you get lucky. Arrow fled through the air, all the water. Arrow came down in a little opening in his armor, just below his chin, right? Just a little hole. The arrow came right down in there and killed him. Now, the devil from the beginning was a murderer. If he can mislead you, he's going to set you up. Now, we preach the word so we can identify that, expose the darkness, to turn people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's what we preach about. That's what we want. I'm just saying that God would allow that. And he can do that. At some point in the last days, the word trembling is going to come into a mix with your Christian life. This is a whole lot more narrow than I thought it was. God is much more serious than I realized. I've been taking liberties with my Christianity, and I can't do that anymore. And we start living the way we should. But you see, he makes the Bible out to be, as you read it well, it's full of myths. 
people smarter than I am said so. The, the Red Sea couldn't have been right. You know, they walked through all, all that and all those soldiers died and the sea closed over on them. And manna fell from heaven and, and quails came in and, and the, even then when they crossed into Jordan, the Jordan opened up, hit the Jordan with a mantle and the Jordan opened up and they all went through on dry land across the Jordan into Canaan's fair and happy land. And then when they got over there, they marched around Jericho, 12 foot thick walls and just, hey, and the walls fell down. And scholars, Christian so-called scholars scoff at that. And they tell their little subjects that are going to go out and preach to you people. Don't preach those things like they're true. We know they're not true because, you see, God's like us. I mean, he's on the same level we are. That couldn't be right. Or the virgin bird. Don't, don't preach that. Just say, as the uh, reverse standard version says, it's just a young lady. That's all. Just a young lady shall have a child, not a virgin. And begin to try to make these things in the Bible to people who don't want to believe it to be unreal and untrue so people will believe it. I was preaching a revival in a school up in Raceland, Kentucky, where I used to coach basketball up near the Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky border, up in that corner. And I had been invited back to that community to, to hold a weekend revival in the gymnasium where I used to coach. And a lot of people came. I was glad to see them, of course. And one night after one of the services, preacher of a certain somewhat liberal persuasion came up and said, you know, I remember you when you were here and all that, and it's really good to hear you. And boy, I'm glad you're doing all of this, you know, all that. He said, there's one thing I could caution you on if I could, if I may say so. I said, yeah. He said, well, he said, you know, it's kind of like Nicodemus by night. He said, well, you know, you were talking about Noah and the ark tonight. I said, yeah. He said, well, we all know that that's not possible. Of course, I'm, I was ready. <laughs> I mean, I'd already been here and heard that, but I didn't have the heart to blast away because I knew he wasn't coming back. He said, we all know that if all the animals that were supposedly put in the ark were really put there. It would take 90 boxcars, railroad boxcars, 90 of them just to put just two of a kind in it. Of course, my simple mind, I have a simple mind. I like things simple. I remember thinking, wow, what? now the miracle is a miracle now. You just elevated my miracle understanding to a high level. Because all of a sudden, the little giraffe is about that tall little fella. <laughs> You know, and he, he walked in the yard and got him a little room, and then here come little elephants, and got him a little room. And come little lions and tigers, and here come little dog and little cat. Well, you got to put them in your pocket. God doesn't have any problem doing what he said he does. He just sometimes describes it in a way that only real true believers can accept it. We say, let it be so. Well, they would have been crammed in there so tight they wouldn't have been able to breathe. How do you know? What's the 
thou there. I don't know how big the ark was. Three football fields, a football field long. Why is it a football field? How many animals can you put in a boat as big as a football field or whatever, how, how many it is? That's a lot of room. We, you can put as many in there as God wants in there. It's like how many angels can fit on the head of a, of a pen. You ever heard that argument? Well, how many angels can fit on the head of a pen? As many as needs to be. Well, you couldn't get one on there. You could get 16 billion of them on there if God wanted them on there. He that sitteth in the heavens laughs at people who think themselves to be wise have become fools. They have corrupted their whole life. They disqualified themselves from eternal life. I cannot see how they could stand in a school and tell people that what the Bible says is not true. And then they're going to go out and preach something they know is false. That's a terrible sin to know that what I'm telling you, I know is wrong. I don't believe it myself. That's a terrible sin. Because, you know, they will say, well, now, I'm not saying the Bible's false. I'm just saying there's a lot of exaggerations in it, and there's a lot of uh, mistruths, and it's been copied so many times and recopied that, you know, there's going to be errors and flaws in it. We're not saying that the word of God isn't there. We're just saying that the whole thing is not the word of God. And I say, well, then how do I know which part is the word of God? Because that's the part I want to believe. They say, well, nobody knows that. Then you pick up the Bible to read. You don't even know what you're reading. You might as well read a comic book to some people. If I can't believe this book is the word of God, period, I have no basis for my faith. If I have no basis for my faith, there is no salvation. I have to believe that God is. That's one of the requirements. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. If it doesn't say for sure that he is or that it might not meant what it said, it might not have meant that, then how do I know he is? How do I know the creation if I don't believe the Bible? Then creation happened. It's like taking ore out of a mountain and some rocks out of some other kind of a compound, throw them in a shoebox, you shake them up for a million years and get a Rolex watch. <laughs> now that's ignorant. Now that is ignorant. The only thing in my simple life that makes sense is the Bible. The simplicity that is in Christ which is this is the way walk ye in it. And the way you walk is according to this book. And for people who say, well, the Bible is a myth, it's not true. There's no value in holding on to it. And who are we to say that people like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or many other groups and cults or Muslims or Hindus who are we to say that, that they're wrong? How arrogant are we to say that, that they're wrong? They have as much right to believe in their God as you do. Nobody said that. And what they believe can be just as right as what you say. It could not. That's not true. There's only one word because there's only one God. There's only one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
There's only one. That's the almighty God. And he is, for the most part, who he really is, is rejected by the whole world. Some groups, the Muslims, have made him out to be somebody that, that wants to kill. He gives us life. I wonder what a Muslim ever does if you ask him the question, if you died without killing somebody, would you go to heaven? If you died without hurting, maiming, or destroying somebody else's life or family, would you go to heaven? Is the only way you can get to heaven by being a martyr? That's a lie. Who believes that? A whole bunch. A whole bunch of people. Because there's no particular strict way to walk. You know, error is easy. Living a falsehood is easy. It doesn't require much. My daddy was Catholic. My brother was Catholic. Being a Catholic doesn't require much of you. You go to a service. You, you go through the mass which if you knew what the mass was and what the priest was demonstrating by the different things he does up there, you'd go, you would. If you knew that he was, he was working a miracle. Do you know that? It's a lying miracle. Turning wine into blood and turning a little wafer, they call a host, turning it into the body of Christ. Of course, you don't get the blood, you only get the body. And I'll guarantee you when they drink it, it doesn't taste like blood. It would still taste like cheap wine. But people love a lie. Because that costs me nothing. I don't have to change any way I live to believe that. Just like idols. That idol can't talk back to you. It can't challenge the way you live. It can't challenge your attitude. It can't challenge your mistakes and failures. And it never talks about sin. So you're free. All you have to do is do a little dominoes and biscuits before that little statue, and you're all right. Dominoes and biscuits. We'll explain that someday, too. Let's go to number two here. Make God less than trustworthy. Boy, this is right now in Christianity as I speak. God could, but he probably won't. God is able we read in the Bible that he has. We know God could heal. We know that God has healed. And we know that people do get healed. But you cannot believe and just know for sure that he'll heal you. Why not? Why can't I believe that? Who taught me I couldn't believe that? Because whoever taught me that lied to me. And if I rest set back and say, well, I'm going to measure God by other people. Now, God said he does this and does this and does this. And I look around, I say, well, who's he done it for? I don't see anybody he's done it for. And somebody says, well, he may not want to. Oh, okay. So I believe that. That's a lie. God is not a man that he should lie. God doesn't make aimless promises, but he does require faith. And faith is taking God at his word, which they refuse to do. And you wonder why isn't there anything happening? Because people don't believe. Why don't they believe? Because they believe the lie. Well, we know God could. We know he has. We know he's able, but we don't believe that he will. So you preach on faith to people. You preach on healing and deliverance or something to people. And that thing, that lie kicks in in the back of their mind. Well, 
I don't know about all that. What do you mean you don't know about all that? There are promises in the Bible from the beginning to the end about that. Don't you know that? Don't you know that in Deuteronomy 7, 15, he said, I'll remove all sickness from the midst of you. Psalm 107, 20, he sent his word and healed them. Called himself by a covenant name in Exodus 23. I am Yahweh Rofikah, the Lord that healeth thee. I'm your doctor. You don't have to run here and there. Come to the throne of grace in time of need. And your father will meet you there because he has several thousand promises that are yours. Come. Now, if you don't want to come, if you're not coming, who talks you out of it? What I'm saying to you is that people don't believe that or not sure about that. They've been lied to. Either by a preacher or religious system. By their parents public opinion, or some sensible philosophy that they've heard. Well, you know, you know, you know, God did that back then, but today he's given us the hospitals and the doctors. You realize you can't get in some hospitals unless you've got insurance? Does that sound like God? Doesn't, does it? I'm saying the devil is a liar. From the very beginning, he was a liar, and he has so misrepresented God. You hear people all the time refuse or reject a promise because they said, well, you know, look how many people pray and don't get results. What about faith? Oh, everybody has faith. Who told you that? How did you come to believe that? That's not true. Even the Bible says all men have not faith. Who told you all men have faith? That's a lie. Brother Hamilton, you're making me nervous. I ought to. We got eternity hanging right in our balance. We don't even know when it's going to start. I hate to think that I've stood here for 30 plus years and you all didn't make it. <laughs> to think that all of this time, nothing ever happened in people's hearts. 30 years, no different than we ever were. Heard a lot of things. Hoped it would work, maybe counted on it to work, but wasn't sure. It's the wasn't sure part that bothers me. Because the wasn't sure is a challenge by the devil about what God said in the form of a lie. In the form of a lie. And that's, that's just one of those things that happens. Or some people think, thirdly, if you insist on believing, you're going to believe anyway, you're going to take a shot at that then they make God's love a guarantee of heaven. I've heard this more than once, like many of you probably have. People that I have known say, well, you know, here's how I see it. This is what a little God would say. Well, here's how I see it. The devil likes to elevate you into a place where you're master of your own life, make you think like that. Well, here's how I see it. Here's the way I see it. If God is as good as he says he is, then I don't think he's going to send me to hell. And then you come back and you say, the thing that sends you to hell is your sins. Your sins. You can be a good sinner. You can be a kind sinner. You can be a gracious 
sinner. Never saw your need to deal with sin because, well, who's perfect? And you live life on your terms your whole life. Nicest person your family ever saw. Your family loves you and worships you. And you died without Christ. And you tell them that you didn't make it to heaven. They'll fight you, shoot you, and you might, your life might be ended. Because as far as we're concerned as a human race, been told all these years about the love of God. If God's love is as great as it says it is, and God loves everybody, including those Pharisees, when he said, you are of your father, the devil, God loves them too, then how could they perish? How could they perish, preacher? You think you would love your son, and because he made mistakes, you'd, you'd send him off where you'd never see him again? Come on, you love him more than that. You know what people say? Passionately say that. And yet you come back. You come back and you say the thing that will send you to eternal damnation is sin. And all of us like sheep had gone astray. We were all sinners. There was not a righteous one amongst us. Then how did you escape? How did you escape then? If we're all doomed, how does anybody get saved? First of all, you know the story. God provided a way, didn't he? God provided a way. The almighty God, the invisible God, made a visible body by which he manifested himself to the world in Hebrews 1 came to this world as God's offering for the sin of man called the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He lived a sinless, holy, perfect life, went to the cross, laid his life down on the altar called the cross for you and me. God accepted that and then raised him from the dead because death couldn't hold him. Death had no right to him. And then he's presented to us as the savior of the world. If you believe in him, you shall be saved. Who wants eternal life? Millions come, as the Bible said. And then you begin to say, now, this is the way God wants you to live. What? This is what the Bible said. This is the way walking in it. You got to preach that. Otherwise, every week we just talk about Jesus died on the cross. There's a life you live. He said, make disciples. Disciples are pupils. Pupils are followers. You got to preach that. There is a way that seems right, but it's not right. So show my people the way. Turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Do that. Preach the word in season and out of season. Why? Because the word is what transforms Word is what changes. It's the light that God gives. And listen, out of the millions, boy, maybe a few of them come back and say, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I think back, Tony and I were talking, he was here a couple Wednesdays ago, of all the people, and he knew the same people I knew. We started at the same time, many, many, many years ago. And I asked him, whatever happened to this one, that? And he said, I haven't seen those people in years. I don't know what happened to all of them. And I count on my hand how many people are left. And I could count them all that I remember on one hand. Hundreds. 
What happened to them? They believed a lie. Somebody told them it was too hard, too extreme, too far out, too hot, too slow, too young, too old, too something. It made sense to their subtle minds. And as the devil deceived Eve by his subtlety, he deceives these two. So just coming to the Lord doesn't mean you're going to stay with the Lord. We don't like that verse that he that endures to the end, but that's what a Christian will do. One more. The devil says this. The devil gets people to believe like this. He said, well, I'm not really bad enough to go to hell. I mean, when you talk about sin, everybody sins. The only way a man gets saved because God saves him, isn't it? Only God can forgive sins. Let me hit that one more time. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. The whole world lies in darkness. And God goes, wherever I was, Hamilton, I want you. I didn't understand that. I just broke down one Sunday morning. June the 30th, 1968, I broke down. I began to weep because I was finally able and willing to admit that I was lost. Others went forward, but a lot of people around me never wasn't affected at all by it. Why was I? Grace. Grace. You don't join God. You're brought to God. People don't want to be brought to God. They perish. God is under no obligation to save everybody. That's a good theological sermon. Who said God had to save everybody? If he has to save everybody and not everybody is saved, then he made a promise he couldn't keep. He wasn't able to. But if Jesus died for his people, then his people are going to be saved. And you'll know they're his people by the way they live. So then he comes up and he says, yeah, well, not everybody that dies is bad enough to be lost. My grandmother, I had a grandmother, my daddy's mama, granny, called her. Granny was a good Catholic woman, good in the Catholic definition. Well, I remember after church, we'd get out of the church and all the beating and banging they did while they were in there and the reading and all the chains and the rosary and put all that up. And we'd get home and, and you'd, it was like blankety blank and well, who the blank and well, why the blank? And I remember, even as a little boy, as a young fellow, I'm thinking, how is it that you can go to church and listen to what somebody says or have a religion that allows you to just participate in a ritual, but you don't have to live by anything? I was little. I wasn't very big, and I thought, you know, something's wrong with that. My mother's church, we got to sing. I used to, didn't have to kneel all the time. I could sit in the seat. But then, you know, if granny died, I remember my granny died. Never such a thing about granny, the most godly woman. I look back now. I wouldn't say that now. I would probably stand in the room where she was, because I'm sure I would go to the funeral. And I would probably bow my head and, and have anguish in my soul about a lost, misled life that I'm sure she thought everything was right. She couldn't stand Christians. My mother and I were Christians. Wouldn't even let my mother come in the house. So I quit going in the house. 
My grandpa would come out and talk to it. He was a fine man. But I think, what kind of religion does this to people? And then when they die, oh, they're such godly souls. Now they're in the bliss of heaven with the almighty God. I doubt it. And yet when you say that, you say, well, they were too good to go to hell. Were they? What is too good? How good is good? Jesus said, there is none good but one, that is God. Remember that? Good master, what must I do to be saved? He said, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that's God. Then he said, do this and do this, the, the commandments. Who qualifies for hell? Do hypocrites? Do hypocrites go to heaven? Oh, then a hypocrite is destined for the pit, right? What if they were good hypocrites? Next door, kind, neighborly hypocrites who talk so lovely and so kind, and when you were out of earshot, they just talked about you and your religion. Oh, but they were so, they were the nicest people, made cookies. See, we label them as good enough. It's not about Jesus, folks. It's just about being good enough. What about unforgiving people? People that don't forgive each other, that hold grudges. Do you really think that heaven's made for them? Or am I supposed to say that? Can't God forgive unforgiveness? Of course he can. But what if they don't repent? What if they harbor ill will against anybody, members of their own family, their neighbor next door, the guy down the road that did you wrong, the Red Cross one brother told me once, he'll never forgive them. For something that happened, maybe some military operation, maybe some accident or some insurance company or something that you felt left out. Oh, I hate them. You go to church, you may be the preacher. But you got hate in your heart against somebody. How are you going to make it to heaven? How? You have to develop your own theology, which is a way that seems right, but it'll never get you in heaven. They may preach you into heaven. We may have a lot of sorrow and praise at your gravesite, but that won't get you in heaven. Goodness will not get you in heaven. Only faith in Christ. For by grace, through faith, are you saved, and that not of yourself. What about those that put their hand to the plow and look back? Are they good enough to go to heaven? What about your liberal Friends and grandparents who were always nice and kind. What about people that grow up nice? See, I married a nice lady, but she won't go to heaven because she's nice. Everybody in her family said, our mother never sinned. She did so. <laughs> she's not going to heaven because she's nice. She's not going to heaven because she's kind to the family. And more kind to me than I'll ever deserve in this life. I told her one time not long ago, I said, I just want to thank you for loving me all these years. I don't deserve this. But that's not why she's going to heaven. They don't get you in heaven. It's a wonderful trait, but you can't make heaven because she did that. You do that because you're a Christian. Because it's a part of the way you've been taught to live. You go to heaven because your faith is in Christ and your faith is expressed in Christ by how you live and treat other people. But treating other people apart from Christ will not get you to heaven. 
Let me give you one more verse and you can turn. Turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 33 and we'll close. I feel like I'm cutting this thing in half in the very beginning and I just want you to get the picture. That deception means you start thinking outside the scriptural box or the way of God. Somebody misleads you with wrong information. It seems right and you believe it. Well, why can't we date? Why shouldn't we do a little hugging and carrying on? Who taught you that? What's the Bible say? I don't care about what that, well, see, that's your problem. You're fixing to get in trouble because you believe in a lie. What's the Bible say? What about modesty? What's the Bible say about modesty? I don't want to hear that. Brother Tom, get off of that. Why? Does your conscience bear witness for that? Holidays? Oh, don't talk about that. Why? Why? Do you want to hear the truth? What about a marriage vow? You want to hear that? What do you want to hear? I want to know the truth. God saved me from death, and I believe brought me here. Now, don't lie to me, preacher. Don't mislead me. Don't favor me with stories and tales and try to make me feel good. Just tell me the truth. Speak the truth in love. Care for me enough that you won't spare me, but that you'll speak the truth to me and tell me exactly what the Bible says, whether I like it or not. Now, in closing this morning, Mark chapter 8 and verse 33. But when he had turned about and looked upon his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said this, and this is the way it is. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Isn't that the way it is today? Isn't it? The devil savors the things that pertain to men and please men, not the things that pertain to God and that please God. Do it your way. After all, be your own man. Come on, it's your body. Do with it as you please. I mean, after all, come on. That's the devil. And then finally, look at verses 34. Through 38. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, what does that mean? Well, you won't like the teaching, but that's what it says. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's a teaching there, but you won't like it. You might, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Wherefore, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God give us what it takes to give heed to this word.
Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning as you have brought us together to hear your word, that that quickening of your spirit has been experienced. That as a word we hear that you direct to our hearts as it comes to us, may we know without a doubt that it's your word. And may the challenge that word presents to our own personal philosophies and ideas and opinions, may they all go to the cross. May we crucify all of those things so that Christ may live and we may die. So that we can say it's no longer I who live, but Christ. There is before me this morning, Heavenly Father, many people who are your people. They're not mine, they're yours. And I ask you in the name of Jesus to speak kindly with your sheep. Leave none of them alone. Follow us home. Follow us wherever we go today. Lean on us. Remind us. Inform us. And in that way, love us. I ask you to meet the needs of everybody that's in this room this morning. I ask you to bless those whose faith is wavering to make it strong. Make us aware of the fact that if you said it, you will do it. You will do it. And bless us to be stable, strong, honest, and upright as you work on us to become that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.